From Revenue Rhino, I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have David from Care Daily. David, it's really nice to have you on. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So I'm excited to dive into today's discussion. To kick us off, can you tell me a bit about yourself and who you are, as well as your company and what you guys are doing? Sure. So I'm David Moss. I'm the CEO of a company called Care Daily. And people are getting older. This is the biggest macro trend the world has ever seen here. And there just are not enough people to take care of this aging population. And so we have at Care Daily an army of AI caregivers. And these go in homes. It's like having somebody there. It really, it's not a robot. It's not going to cook you a meal or anything. But an AI caregiver is one that can talk with people. It can understand the lifestyle patterns in these homes and it can predict problems that are about to happen so that clinicians and caregivers can intervene to reduce costs and provide better healthcare for everyone. That's really cool. So what would an example of that be? Could you give like a, an example of what maybe one of the problems they face and how you guys are fixing them? Sure. So actually one, one great example is we're actually backed with funding from the National Institute on Aging. And they have generously given us, it's almost $8 million now in non-dilutive funding in the company. So what that allowed us to do is package up these AI caregivers and deploy it into homes of people with dementia and Alzheimer's. And what's happening here is a person with dementia will inevitably decline and there's this collateral damage where they affect everyone around them. And so while there's nothing that my company can do directly for the person with dementia. What we can do is help their caregiver, their family caregiver, provide better care and be more resilient to these declines. And what we've shown through randomized controlled trials is that when you have an AI caregiver in your home helping take care of your loved ones, the family caregivers actually experience significantly reduced anxiety and significantly better sleep quality in the active group versus the control group. So this is showing we're really able to help protect people's physical and mental health. It's almost like a drug, but this is an AI technology and it's working because it's in the background of people's lives and it makes it feel like there's just another person on your team who's helping take care of your loved ones. Absolutely, that's really cool. So how did you decide to get into this space? What's your story with that? If we go way back, I met my co-founder, Gene, over 20 years ago at our previous startup company. That company was called Bitphone. We created the global standards for how to do firmware updates on phones. And we sold that company to Hewlett Packard in 2007 for $160 million. It was a great exit. After a couple of years, we reformed as a new company and started bringing on board some of the great talent we had on our previous startup. And initially, this, so this was around 2009 or 10 is when we reformed and got going. And we had this idea that homes are going to become intelligent. We're going to have sensors and things around us to control the experience. And the U.S. government at that time was funding grant opportunities around energy. So actually, that's where we started was, can we understand people's lifestyle patterns in homes so that we could affect energy consumption? So it turns out to our surprise and actually it's you learn things as you you're doing a startup not many people really truly care about saving a couple bucks on their energy bill so we had to do something better and we were looking for a way as a software company to get into homes with more of a freemium model so in 2013 i created an app called presence and presence was the first mobile app that would actually target your old phone 
So you'd get out your old phone from your sock drawer, you download the app Presence, and you would turn it into a free internet security camera. You could watch live, you could get motion detection video alerts, and you could talk back to people and pets who are nearby the camera. So this app just took off. In fact, USA Today, top 13 apps of 2013, we were wedged in between Snapchat and Duolingo. It made the top 0.1% of revenue generating apps on the App Store. And this was just a freemium model. So we had users all over the world, and we still do. But my wife, who is much smarter than me, she's much more attractive than I am, she is the UX researcher. She is a PhD social psychologist, and I turned to her to help study our user base. And what she found when she studied our user base is that 94% of our users are actually using it for things we didn't anticipate, security, watching over kids, watching over pets. Now 6% was actually using our app for watching over a, an aging loved one, someone in their own home. And so from a numbers perspective, from a quantitative perspective, 6% isn't a lot, but when you look at the feedback, this was the most passionate feedback we had ever seen. There was one woman who said, I was able to keep my job because your app allowed me to watch over my mom who has Alzheimer's back at home. So we found a very passionate set of users. And as, as we studied them more, we realized actually cameras is not the place to start for this kind of population. If we want to go big, we have to have start a little more private. So fortunately, we already had this established technology, understanding lifestyle and patterns in homes. Uh, to affect energy, repurposing that and just continuing to build upon that, that core fundamental technology, we now have an extremely powerful AI solution that's really about understanding lifestyle patterns so that we can prevent problems and take care of people. So that's how we worked our way in. It was 2018. We got our first $4.5 million grant from the National Institute on Aging. And that really allowed us to pivot into this world of healthcare and senior care. That's awesome. Very cool story. Tell me about how you've made that pivot and maybe some of the tactics, strategies, learnings you had in growing this company and going down that path. We had an established customer base on the energy side. And when you want to switch gears and apply the technology into a different sector, things can get a little tough because now you're talking to investors who are more on the healthcare side. And when they see that you're pulling in revenue from energy customers, that's looked down upon, right? So you have to navigate those waters very carefully. What really enabled us to make that pivot was this non-dilutive grant from the National Institute on Aging. And that's one thing I encourage all startup companies to really look at is there's money out there, there is a budget they have to spend. And if you can get yourself into one of these grants, it's wonderful. You're getting money to help drive the business and it's, it's not affecting your cap table. It's non-dilutive. Now, one thing about these grants though is as you write them, you're painting the path ahead. You're defining the road you're gonna go down. And if it's granted, you have to go down that road. So if you end up finding the market is somewhere else, that's a problem. So you wanna really do your research and we try to have a research-led organization here. We really tried to paint that grant in the direction we know the company's going to go, covering the fundamental technologies and the foundation that even if we had to adjust a little bit to for market conditions, it would still end up with infrastructure and great architecture that could help drive the company forward. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting. You got to keep it in line with the direction of that and all that. But I think it really 
probably helps you focus on, okay, what are we doing? What are we not? Like, what is that path? So yeah. probably a good exercise for that. That's right. Yeah. And we've ended up with some really big customers along the way. It's always great to have, we're a B2B company. So for us, winning is like getting another brand that we're helping power. We're a technology arms dealer for this, right? So it's other people's brands and we're trying to make other companies the heroes. And even on the sales side, just getting a couple of base hits from smaller sales just keeps that money coming in. And that's one of the key things is there's only one reason why a startup company fails is because you run out of cash. Yeah. So if you don't run out of cash and you're going to figure out the market, you're going to make it. Absolutely. So any like major landmines to avoid things are like, I would do this differently or make sure of that for the other startups out there listening. I'm approached every single day by software outsourcing companies who would like my business. I come at the CEO position from being a CTO, actually. I've learned through multiple experiences that your core product, you really need to own that. I think that if I look back and you think about those pivots we went through from going from energy and then into senior care, if we had not started with a very robust architecture for that product, it would have been difficult or impossible to make the turn. So I really prefer to have control with my own team of dedicated people of the product architecture of that infrastructure. Now, some of the stuff you build on top, it's fine, like out, outsource stuff as needed to lower cost, but the core product needs to be yours. And that is uh, probably a key lesson, I think, for many folks who are exploring this space or getting into any kind of tech-enabled services. Very interesting. What are the major downsides if you don't own it? Like you say you're just outsource everything and... I'll give you an example. Not all outsourcing companies are like this, but the typical engagement might be we're talking with some high level person who's helping make this, the sale to buy your, to become your outsourcing partner. And then inevitably what I've seen happen multiple times is they swap out the, the VIP players who are on your team and they'll bring in folks who, you know, haven't really, that don't really know how to do software. So you end up with a UI that looks nice, but under, underneath it's a bowl of noodles and you have to throw that bowl of noodles away. It's a waste of money. I think it's really important that you're starting with a, a good foundation. Anybody can make a pretty looking UI. Hire designers and hire UX researchers to help with that side. But, but it's that, that fundamental architecture that if you need to change it, you better have that architecture in solid shape. Yeah, you probably have a bunch of code with bugs that's not documented correctly. But multiple people have touched and all that stuff. Hard to pass on that kind of spaghetti mess to someone else and say, go fix this. Yeah, Absolutely. just avoid it. It's not worth the hassle. And as your code base matures and you got that solid foundation, again, maybe you can bring in some talent, but you got to own it. This is your IP. This is your product. And it's not worth handing the core of your business over to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Absolutely. So let's pivot and talk about content, marketing, LinkedIn, all that stuff. What piece is that played in what you're doing and how you tell the story of the company and grow and find customers and all that? Sure. So we're a B2B company. So that means LinkedIn is actually a great resource for us. I think there's something like eight, over 800 million users on LinkedIn. More than half of those people are using LinkedIn or accessing it primarily on mobile. 
And that means you can reach people at all hours of the day. And then also, decision makers are using LinkedIn to vet companies. So I think LinkedIn is a pretty important tool. You can actually develop and deploy a full marketing and sales strategy purely around LinkedIn. And if you're savvy enough, you can also game the algorithm with the quality and the variety of your content to get in front of people at the right times. Like you throw a video here, an infographic there, some body copy with a photo. You just, you can establish yourself as the expert. Also, something most people don't know about is there's this social selling index, SSI, and it rewards you on LinkedIn for being more active. So that's a good thing. You don't have to have paid ads or a huge team of sellers. If you're good enough, it's, it's super high ROI. Absolutely. I love it. What's one thing you wish you would have known when you first became a CEO that you know now? I come at the CEO role from being a CTO. So one thing I had to learn about was finance and I had to get deep into that. I had to really understand the, how the full scope of the stock works and how all the investor side works. And that's been really great to learn. The other thing is uh, coming at it from being a CTO, you have to realize that the company is not just the product. There's a whole ecosystem to make a full business, sales, marketing, finance, and more. It's all, it all comes together and the product is just a piece of it. It's really exciting to, to, have that opportunity to become CEO and just drive that business forward. Absolutely, I love that. And as we're wrapping up, what is one piece of advice that you have for your industry as a whole, for your customers out there, those listening to this podcast? I'm in the healthcare industry and I think we all need to embrace collaboration and open innovation. Open innovation accelerates the pace of change. And the healthcare industry is really complex. There's a lot of stakeholders involved. There's patients, caregivers, healthcare providers, insurers, technologists, regulators. Everyone brings a unique perspective. And so we all need to come together. The problems are too big for any one company to solve. And open innovation means that we're sharing and we're collaborating on problem solving. We can bring together diverse stakeholders and we can co-create solutions. So I think that my advice to the industry is break down the silos. Let's foster a culture of collaboration and sharing and leverage our collective intelligence to meet these healthcare challenges of the next century. Absolutely. I love it. David, it's been amazing to have you on. Thanks so much for joining the podcast today and sharing all your wisdom and insights. Thank you very much, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely.